Hello, Dream Nationers. Welcome to the show. This is another episode of the Dream Nation Love Podcast. I'm your host, Julia. And today I sit down with Claire Wasserman, who's the founder of Ladies Get Paid. It's a career development platform that helps women negotiate for pay and power at work. Claire has been named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women, as well as Bumble's 100 Most Inspiring New Yorkers. She's spoken at Facebook, the United Nations Foundation, Watermark, and the New York Times, among many others. And on the show, we talk about her new book, which is called Ladies Get Paid, the ultimate guide to breaking barriers, owning your worth, and taking command of your career. And it's published by Simon & Schuster, who I love. And on the show, we talk about the book, Dreams, and how Ladies Get Paid was once sued by a men's rights group. Yes, you heard that right. A men's rights group. So it's going to be a really interesting podcast. Tune in, share it with a friend, enjoy the show, and make your dreams come true. So you left New York and you're an LA person now. You're an Angelino. <laughs> I don't know if I'm an LA person. I've always been bi-coastal in my heart, I think, because my grandparents live here, all my aunts and uncles, like basically my whole extended family is in Los Angeles and um, San Francisco. I've been in New York for 10 years and I grew up in Washington, D.C. before that. So I think it was sort of inevitable that I'd make it out here at some point. But when the pandemic hit in New York, I mean, I quarantined probably for about two and a half months before I decided, you know what, I'm paying a million dollars for you know a tiny one bedroom. You can't leave. I mean, the whole reason to pay that much money in New York is so that you can be in New York. And so when a New York kind of goes away, you know, we sort of said it's like New York went on pause. How much longer are we willing to wait around for New York to come back? And I, I'm very privileged. I had the opportunity to come to West Hollywood where my family owns a two bedroom that they were effectively using as, you know, storage. My grandmother has a lot of stuff that she refuses to throw out or, or to sell. So my my deal with my family was, listen, I'll come out and I will organize the apartment if I can stay in it. And it's a good deal. So I am extremely lucky that I can come here and, you know, have a little bit of financial relief, which is so important when you run your own business. And, and you know, quite candidly, we were hit hard financially. The pandemic has not been great for ladies get paid. Yeah, you guys do a lot of live events too. So that's like a huge revenue stream that just, you know, gets wiped away basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also a huge part of our revenue actually comes from brands. You know, we we don't charge much for our tickets. We we really want our, you know, our community to to be as inclusive as possible. And so instead of asking our community to pay us, we ask brands, brands that want to reach women because they want them to buy their product or or brands, companies that want to hire them. So we've been able to be in business and to grow as a business for about four years, courtesy of those brands. And so because of the pandemic, they hit stop. Their budgets got frozen. And, you know, fortunately, we've, we've been doing webinars from day one. You know, our, our community knows us online. They've taken their our courses. We have a Slack group with over, you know, 35,000 women who are on Slack, including 1.5 million messages have been exchanged since 2016. So our community is used to interacting with us online. So thank goodness we didn't have to, you know, start over or introduce something new to our community. We just needed to figure out, well, if the money's not coming from brands, if the money's not coming from in-person events, somebody's got to pay for this somewhere. So what do you do? Yeah, you pivot. You pivot like any company and you just go, okay, we're going to change this up and see how this goes. 
I love West Hollywood. I'm so happy that you're there. It is such a great central location to everything. And there's so many cute little restaurants and like, you can kind of still walk around. I mean, even the pandemic, like being in, I was in New York too. And I, I went to Vermont because I just wanted to be outside as soon as it hit. And it was the decision of like, okay, I have a little bit of money. Do I just like use this extra money to just like escape New York? Or do I just like sit here just cooped up in an apartment, not being able to go outside? And nobody was wearing masks. I live in Williamsburg and like it was all young people. No one was wearing masks. Like come January, I started looking around. I'm the only one wearing like a huge mask, like one of those like filter masks. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I got freaked out. I was like, I just want to be somewhere away from people. I don't want to get sick. Like I'm I'm nervous. So so we bolted. I mean, this whole thing has made me and, and I think many of us just, tra- you know, reevaluate everything in our lives, not just what we do, but how do we want to live? And and assuming that it's going to take a while to get back to quote normal and you know, whatever quote normal is, it it might be a new normal. And so there's also this balance of planning, but planning when you, the future is uncertain. So it's sort of like, well, what exactly are we planning for? You know, what are we in for? And so that's really for us has been, well, what's the kind of lifestyle do we want to lead? And I think it's not about sort of growth for growth's sake. It's not about, I want to be a billionaire. I want to raise a bunch of money. It's not about ego. It's about how can I provide as much value to the community while also making sure that I'm nourished, that I can take a rest, you know, and, and and that might affect how much money I make. But guess what? It's most important to me that I am able to spend time with my family. And quite honestly, I like taking naps. And I think that's okay. <laughs> I've embraced my naps. I've, you know what? Since I'm pregnant now, now I'm napping. Like five o'clock, if I feel like I have to take a nap, I just go down because I can't, I can't stay up. Like I have a human growing inside of me. During this pandemic, I started napping. And I've I've slowed down, mm. but it's been like nice to slow down because you're more focused on the things that are more important. I think in New York, we're just so busy and we're in that like go, go, go thing. And sometimes we end up doing things that aren't important sometimes mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. we're in that like go thing. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'll go to that event or like, I'll go mingle here. Like just because it's a nice day or something, you know, you're like, I have half an hour here. I think the pandemic makes you a bit more focused. Yeah. And I think we're being forced now to let go of the hustle mentality because we're trapped here, uh, because I don't think we have as much as many things to fill our time, right? We're not going to networking events. We're not commuting, right? Maybe use that empty space to just be. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to feel guilty for it. We don't have to feel guilty for it because also the pandemic, it's sort of a pressure. It's like this buzz in the back of our brain, this constant uncertainty or maybe fear, right? There's change, but we don't quite know yet what the change is. And so we're exhausted from things we're not even really aware of, right? Because that buzz in the back of the brain, you might not be thinking about the pandemic every day, but it is existing. And so to give ourselves more kindness and allow more space to say, I'm under more stress than I ever have been and acknowledge it. And we're all in it together. That's the thing. It's like, you don't have to feel guilty for taking a break because guess what? We're all needing it. So maybe set a good example and tell people, put up an away message. Hey, I'm taking this afternoon to recenter myself or I'm not available for three hours. If it's an emergency, let me know, you know, and demonstrating publicly what these boundaries are, I think will give permission to other people who, who desperately need it and maybe are feeling like they can't do it or they don't deserve it. Yeah. And I think, you know, capitalism too, it just gets everybody in this, like, I got to be on all the time. I got to, I got to answer that slack. I got to get back to the DM. And it's like, it's okay to slow down and just 
chill out and it's okay and like things will still be there like my mom tends to answer her phone all the time no matter where we are and i'm like mom you know you can just send that to voicemail she's like i can't i'm like you think Mm -hmm. but like once you start doing that you're gonna be like oh cool that's not immediate nothing is a crisis nothing i mean like except for a pandemic (laughs) right except for a a pandemic whatever you do it's good to ask yourself why why do you feel like you need to respond that quick? And if the answer is, well, my boss will get mad at me. Okay, then it sounds like you need to have a conversation with your boss. Or it sounds like maybe you need to try to switch departments. If it's why will they, they need me? Do they really? Like, can you delegate this, right? So I think when you do something, whether it's, you know, positive or negative, if you question yourself and say why, you might be able to get to the core of what's driving that behavior. And when you get to the core, you can understand it better and maybe you can tackle that. Because oftentimes when we do things, you know, whether we're know, beating ourselves up because we made a mistake or, or we don't believe we're good enough for something, I mean, maybe even procrastinating, like there's an underlying belief about yourself and about the world that if you don't deal with that, you will keep continuing this behavior of, you know, responding every second, which is also showing people that, you're willing to respond to them every second. So again, demonstrate the behavior that you want to see. Right. Yeah. It's also identity, right? Like we're dropping our identities a little bit now too. We're so caught up and like, I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be back to New York. I love New York, but like, I just don't know yet because it's not safe yet. And mm-hmm. and you feel like a rat in the cage right now. So it's really weird to just like shed that identity, right? Because I've, I've been in New York for 15 years and to just yeah, be like, like I'm yeah. Right. That's like you're a New Yorker. It's like- I know. I know. That's why when you said, oh, you're an L.A. person, I was sort of laughing to myself. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, and this is bringing up kind of your point of identity. It's like an existential crisis right now on top of every other crisis, health crisis that's happening. But that's then a question of, well, why do I feel like New York is my identity? Like, what is it about New York? Right. So all of this questioning can feel uncomfortable and be, you know, it's scary. But it's good to ask yourself this, especially, you know, I mean, I'm I'm 34. I don't have kids yet. I mean, you're you're about to do that. But listen, we're all shifting into new stages of our lives. And I think it's a good time to reset and say, why do I even consider myself in this way? Do I really want that? What is it about it? Right. So questioning is good. Feeling uncomfortable is good because that's, you know, that's growth. Yeah. I'm a little older. I'm 41. I didn't think I was gonna have kids up until like maybe like three years ago. Like I didn't want kids. I didn't even play with dolls growing up, but it's like your identity shifts, right? Yes. And then you're like, okay, well, this is what I want. I've done like so much in my life and like now it's time for a new phase and now it's time to like remodel my identity and like figure out like who you are because you you grow and you change and you figure out what you want. And some people don't have kids ever and some people have like 15 kids and, you know, some people have like one, but you you shift and you change and times change and and everything changes and you you just take it day by day that's all you do you're like okay like it's about dreams right which was my first question on the podcast everything is kind of like a dream when you were a child what was your dream as a kid i wanted to be so many things uh which now looking back i actually see a lot of patterns with them so i wanted to be an actress i wanted to be a diplomat I wanted to be, what else? I wanted to do film or I wanted to do things that I could create worlds, right? I could could use my imagination. There was storytelling. There was bringing different people together. I was obsessed with playing paper dolls. I was obsessed with, you know, 
accommodating others, right? That's the diplomat, making sure everybody's sort of getting along. There were there was a lot of, you know, people pleasing in that because that's very much how girls are socialized. And something that this is also sort of strange, I grew up in a totally not religious household. I mean, my dad is a pretty staunch atheist. My background is Jewish. So I think culturally, historically, like I feel pretty Jewish, but you know, my dad's this atheist. We never talked about religion, but I remember going to sleep at night and like whispering to God. And I felt, I felt kind of, I was being sort of naughty, right? Like that we, God didn't exist in my family, right? But I would whisper to this God and I would say something like, not that I'm destined for greatness, but that the world is big. I can be big. Like there's so much out there that I don't know. And it was me sort of proclaiming to God or to myself that I was open to the bigness that life could be. And so even though I was trying to grasp onto these different identities of when I grow up, I want to be an actress, or it, it was really me just saying, I want to do service in this world and I want to do meaningful work. And hey, I wouldn't mind being famous either. How about that? <laughs> right. Well, you create your dream and all of those things, you know, like with the desire to be an actor, like that helps put you into like a speaking role and you're doing exactly. a lot of speaking right now. Yep. So like everything that you thought about as a kid, it still lines up to who you are as an adult, even if you don't like realize it right when it's happening. But when you look back and like write everything down. Well, yeah. And I always say for people who are trying to figure out what they want to do next, right? And they're, they're like obsessed with the future. Like, what am I going to be? I always say that look into your past that you're going to be able to find clues from when you were a kid up until now where you were just doing things naturally. You weren't thinking about it as a resume builder. You know, you did it because it brought you joy and you did it because you were good at it. And so if you can try to find the patterns in your life and then take those patterns and say, ah, what job, what industry, you know, can I actually use these? And it's not just, oh, I'm an enthusiastic person. Isn't that nice? But saying, what kind of role will pay me for this? Like, what kind of role utilizes enthusiasm, positivity, you know, to get things done? And, and oftentimes that means you just sort of talk to people, you know, talk to people in your life that you find interesting, ask them about their career path, go on LinkedIn, you know, look at conference listings of speakers. Like there's just such a wealth out there of interesting people. And so find within you what, you know, has motivated you, what has brought you energy, and then go to the people who maybe are playing in that space or who are just simply intriguing to you and just put together those pieces that you don't need to automatically know exactly what it is that you want to do. You don't need to automatically you know, know what the title is. But long story short, I think the key to the future is actually clues from the past. I agree. I agree. It's like, you know, if you enjoyed storytelling as a kid, you're probably going to enjoy some form of storytelling as an adult. Absolutely. Like if you just but, you know, talk to your parents too. be like, what did I do when I was little? What, and then think about what you did as a little kid. Like, what did you love doing? Because like once you get into the flow, once you start playing, then it doesn't feel like a job. Exactly. Like, I, I love talking to people and I love storytelling. So I'm like, oh, of course, I'm doing a podcast again because I used to have a radio show in college. And before that, I, loved, I was into like punk rock music and I used to go to punk rock shows. So I love that community. So now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, of course. I'm like, It going makes sense. Table. Yeah. It makes sense. And all the entrepreneurism stuff, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Everything like you just have to sit down and literally write your whole entire timeline of events, yep. like major and like activities and then look back and then go, aha, mm -hmm. I see it. And I remember we started connecting about like four years ago when you just started doing Ladies Get Paid. I think you were working at the uh, Red Bull. 
and we were talking and you were just doing ladies get paid. So it's so amazing to just like watch you grow and bring your dream to life. Oh, and not have to work for anybody else. Isn't that nice? It's so nice. I mean, it's more stressful, right? Because you're your own boss, but it's also like, I can take a nap right now. <laughs> well, and also I should mention, we all do work for somebody. If you right, run your own yeah. company and you have investors, you you work for your investors. You also work for your clients, right? I work for my community. So I don't want to say, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have a boss, but I like calling the shots. I like making my own decisions. I like making my own mistakes and learning from them. And I, you know, I don't have judgment mm-hmm. from any one person. So this really suits me, but it is certainly not for everybody. And I recommend that most people probably shouldn't be entrepreneurs. Yeah, you need to really be disciplined too. And you have to make sure that work gets done. Like what I love about it is that I can make my own schedule sometimes where I'm like, okay, well, I can take two hours off in the morning, but then like, that means I'm just going to be up to like one or two in the morning working. And like that flexibility is like priceless to me because my, my life is, it's flexible sometimes. So that kind of works. This brings me back to your book, actually. Uh, You have a new book coming out and it's called Ladies Get Paid, The Ultimate Guide to Breaking Barriers, Owning Your Worth and Taking Command of Your Career. Now, did you ever, like, growing up, did you want to write a book or did did this come out of a pandemic? Oh, my goodness. I'm smiling right now because it's been two years in the making and it's finally here. And it's just, you know, talk about having a baby. Listen, I was going to say it was painful to birth this baby, but... It is. You know, creative birth is so difficult. Like, and I'm kind of curious for, like, when I'm going to give birth because I'm like... I'm like, is it going to be much harder than a pitch? Because I've been in some really painful pitches yeah, before. Yeah, you I know. Because there's a Creative lot of self-doubt. Process. You know, there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with it. So listen, I mean, my dad works in publishing. He has 17,000 books. So I grew up, you know, in apartment. I grew up in New York till I was 10 and then we moved. So there were just books all around in my world. Did I think I was going to be an author? No. But did I think I was going to be, you know, in a in a place where I would tell stories? It, yes. And it wasn't until about two years, two and a half years ago, long story short, Ladies Get Paid got sued by a group of men's rights activists. So anyway, I got sued for gender discrimination. And I ended up meeting with this woman who said to me, gosh, Claire, have you ever thought about writing a book? And you know, my co-founder said, yes, she has, even though, you know, I hadn't really, but yeah, it was in the back of my mind. And she said, let me introduce you to this agent. I think that she would love you. And she did love me. And we decided, okay, let's write a book that's not about being sued. Uh, That can come at another time, but a book that really takes all the education we give that ladies get paid and condensing it down to basically what do you need to do to be strategic in your life? What do you need to do to get ahead at work, but also not to sacrifice your authenticity, you know? And part of it is you got to make change. So it's not just you doing better, but, you know, how do you affect the system? How do you get your boss, your company to, you know, implement policies like paid family leave? How do you lobby elected officials, right? What are laws out there that need to be passed that help women make more money? And so the way that the book is structured is we follow the stories of nine real women. And as you read about them, you know, each of them are facing a different professional challenge. But I make sure to stop along the way and say, here's tangible advice. Here's how you can implement things in your own life. So it's this really interesting structure of going back and forth between, you know, their fascinating experiences and and stuff they're just struggling with, but also making sure that you are okay in your life. So it's extremely action oriented. And I know I'm biased, but I think it's a really fucking good book. <laughs> no, it sounds really great. It sounds very like 
dense and like super heavy with information. I mean, you have like three action items in the whole entire like headline, right? It's like breaking barriers, owning your worth and taking command of your career. Those are three things that are like really, really big. Those yeah. are like three books on their own. <laughs> oh yeah. This is a 300 page. Like I'm kind of looking at this or I'm hoping that it's everything you need to know to, to, to kick ass at work. That could have been an, al- an alternative subtitle. I, and also, you know, Simon & Schuster is my publisher and they've been awesome. They're calling it the new lean in, the lean in for the new generation, because I think lean in, it was the first of its kind. It's the first book that really broke down what are gender power dynamics at work and what can you do. But where it fell short, you know, and where I think my book picks up is understanding the systemic and insidious discrimination, that it's not on us, right? It's not your fault that you didn't get the promotion. It's not your fault that the wage gap exists. So while we all need the tools to, you know, to kick ass in our own lives, we have to dismantle the very things that have been keeping us back in the first place. So I'm really hoping that this can become that book for people. And it is available for pre-sale because it officially comes out January 12th. Uh, But just go to goodreads.com, goodreads.com and put into the search, ladies get paid and buy it because I need to get paid. So there's that lady needs to get paid over here and gift it. It's also really good for somebody who just graduated college into this phenomenal economy, you know, and who's looking for how to kind of chart their career path. I'm super proud that I did it. And I can't even tell you how difficult it was. And you know what? That's really great advice too for aunties or like close family friends. You know, if you have a kid in your life that that's a girl that is going to be going through high school and going through college and she's going to be entering the workforce, like build up a library for her Mm. and talk to her about things, you know, like give her these books. And have these conversations because I think a lot of girls just like, nobody talks to us about this. We discover stuff on our own, right? We discover it through podcasts. We discover it through a friend. This is information we should know right away. Mm, I wish I had. Right? Like, I I don't think like the first job that I got in New York at an ad agency, I didn't negotiate it. I was Mm. like, oh, I got a job. I'm so grateful. And I'm like, oh my God, I could have negotiated probably like an extra $15,000 into it. And I, I kicked butt for those like two years that I was there at that agency. And I and like I barely got a raise too, and I was like, "What was I doing?" Like, I was just, but I was so like dedicated. I was like, "Ah, concepts, great ideas. This is what I'm doing." Like, I was just so sold on the idea, mm-hmm. and like less on like my worth mm-hmm. as the person mm-hmm. who's making like millions of millions of dollars working on like a multi million dollar launch. Absolutely. It's insane. And the issue with not negotiating early on in your career is you're losing generational wealth. Because imagine yeah. if you got that money and you invested it you know, and you put it in your 401k, that compounds over time. So it's not just about this year's paycheck. It's about your retirement. It's about passing it on to your kids, you know, if you're you're having kids. So, you know, look at the long game, look at the long game. And, you know, if it feels weird to do it for yourself, then channel other women, you know, stand up for yourself on behalf of somebody else. Um, Because as women, we oftentimes, I think, find it easier to advocate on somebody else's behalf than even on our own. So know that the wage gap exists. And one way that you can close it for yourself is ask for more. Yeah, it's true. And I think you're also doing uh, John Hancock's Money Talk Expert podcast now too. Is that, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. So it's a new podcast called Friends Who Talk About Money. And I'm the host and it just got renewed for a second season, which is awesome. But it is, it's such an interesting podcast because each episode 
we have a couple or a family or friends come on and deal with a certain financial issue in their life. The last one was a husband and wife who are caring for their older parents and their children, right? So they're called the sandwich generation. We had a whole family talking about their family cell phone plan, their Amazon bill, right? So you know, how could the kids become independent financially from the parents? It was super fascinating. And then towards the end of the episode, we get an expert to come on and give commentary, you know, what they understood from from the conversation and, and things that they suggest the listener do. So, you know, I'm there to host it. But honestly, I ask a question or two, and then it's up to everybody else to keep talking. So I take notes because I'm learning a lot from it. That's wonderful. I haven't listened to it, but it's on my podcast list. I'm like on the long drive. I want to start listening to it because um, I think it's really great. But I also realized I'm diverting away from your book and I want to go back to it a little bit more because I'm really excited for it. I just came up with this question right as we were talking. What's your favorite like chapter that you wrote in the book that you're like, you know what, like I love this and I just want to share this with the world? I have so many. So I have favorite I don't want to say I have favorite characters because that's not really nice to to everybody. There are certain women who whose stories I've just been incredibly inspired by. Listen, I love them all. They're like all of my children. There's one woman in particular whose story I'm just totally blown away by. Her name is Shelmina. Actually, two chapters that are dedicated to her. The first one is Get Allies. So it's about her starting at IBM. She grew up in Tanzania, didn't know that much English, went into computer science, and she gets this job at IBM. She ends up working her way from like this total rookie software engineer to becoming one of the major executives. She was there for 10 years. She gave a presentation to the CEO and the CEO told somebody that then told her that it was the best strategy presentation that she had ever experienced. And this is a woman, you know, Shalmina, this is a woman who tells the story of how she'd once been in a meeting, had an idea, but was too nervous to speak up. Somebody else took her idea. They spoke up. And guess what? That person got a big raise. They got a whole like congratulations in front of 500 people. You know, And Shalmina had to teach herself not only how to have the confidence to speak up, but how do you become an effective communicator? How do you make sure that when you're cut off, you keep going, right? And to stop apologizing for it. How do you get rid of the ums and the ahs, right? So her story is super inspiring for its trajectory. I think one of my favorite chapters is the case study at the end. It's, again, this real woman who sues her company for discrimination, pay discrimination, because she discovered that she was getting paid way less than her coworkers. And in fact, there was systemic discrimination across the board. Women were making less than the men. And so she you know, doesn't immediately sue. She tries to fix the problem. She tries to advocate for herself and the other women. And finally, she says, you know what? If I don't do this, who will? And she recognized her privilege. You know, She had a lot of savings and she took the leap. And it's been a couple of years that she's still in this lawsuit. And let me tell you, B, I can't expose what the company is, but it is, it's a bank. They're very well known. It's probably the scariest company that you could sue. And she did it. So she's the last chapter. She's incredible. But everybody is. You know, those are the two that just popped out in my mind. But yeah, I mean, that's the scary leap, right? And in order to take these scary leaps, you need to have money saved up or you need to have a supportive spouse or family with a lot of money. And that's where a lot of women fall short because we don't have that, you know, like we don't have that little savings account to do these drastic leaps. Which is why we need to be saving money. Everybody, I mean, we have to be financially independent. That is everything. Otherwise you are stuck. You are stuck in a relationship. You're stuck at work. You know, we are really constricted, unfortunately, by how much is in our bank account. 
But the good news is, is at the end of the day, it's not really how much you make, but it's how much you spend. So if you are able to reduce your, you know, your output, you'll have more for the future. But financial planning, budgeting, like it's not just you go to work and that's it. You have to also be financially responsible and financially literate. So that's a huge part of what Ladies Get Paid does. Half of our programming is about your career and the other half is about money because, you know, quite frankly, they are inextricably tied. And sometimes you have to make a choice. You're like, do I do something outside of my career that gives me more money? Because there are positions out there that are like, you know, you're like, okay, well, I started out doing this, but like, maybe I'll join a hedge fund. You know, maybe I'm really great at finance. And maybe like, it just depends on what you want to do. I think people who are able to do whatever they love and make a ton of money are incredibly lucky and they're living the dream. But I think a lot of people have the choice of like, okay, well, do I like, do I do something that I'm not super happy in, but it gives me a lot of money so I can do something that I'm happy with? Or do I just like work doing passion projects and like hope for the best, (laughs) you know? Listen, I think we spend what, 90,000 hours of our life at work. I think life Mm -hmm. is too short to be unhappy at what you do, but everything's a trade-off. There's always a sacrifice. And so as long as you've done due diligence on your values and the kind of lifestyle you want, you have to be okay with what the sacrifice is. And I think oftentimes people walk into situations thinking about how great, you know, here are the things I love. Well, how about what are the challenges and the things that you're going to ha- sacrifice? And are you okay with that? You know, which is a bit of a downer, right? I'm telling you to focus on the negatives to make your decisions, but that's just being realistic, I think. Yeah, I think everything has a negative, right? And if you're like, Everything is going to have something that you're not going to like love to do, but it's like, how much is it going to cost you? How much are, what are you willing to give up? And like, what are you willing to sacrifice? But I'm also wondering what's the number one question that like, you see a lot of women coming up to you at ladies get paid for like at conferences. Like what is the one thing that people are like, I don't know much about this. Mm -hmm. Please teach me. Mm -hmm. Finance is huge. Investing is huge. It's so intimidating. We're not taught. It. So I, I think investing is a big question mark for people in terms of, you know, who they are and their career. I get a lot of concerns about how hard they are on themselves. They're a perfectionist. They have a lot of self-doubt. And then the next thing is, is networking. I think at the end of the day, you want to meet people who make you feel good. Uh, and, and you want to find people who, you know, you share something with. You want to find people who can help open doors, you know, help you get jobs, things like that. So I think they come to us not just with a concern, but just with a desire to to meet other people. And then there are questions of, well, how do I be strategic in networking while also feeling like I don't have to sacrifice authenticity, right? How do I tell somebody I admire them, but I also have to be genuine? How do I stay in touch, right? So, so it's not just meet people, good luck, but there's, I think, a lot of questions about maintaining those relationships too and you know, getting over the concern that you're bothering them or burdening them when you need help. There's just a lot of emotional baggage, I think, you know, there's the tangible stuff of like, what do you say, right? How do you negotiate your salary? But you also have to believe that you're worthy of it. And so, you know, I really think part of what we do is therapy. So the questions that people have, it's, it's not just how do I do it? How can I be okay while I'm doing it? That's such a good thing, right? Because I think as women, we put so much more emotion into everything that we do. It's a huge way to control women as well. And I think companies know that too, you know, and it's a big mix of like what we come to the table with and what companies know we come to the table with and how do we like how do we leverage that because i think i think emotions make us stronger i completely agree and it's also understanding who you are emotionally i, I talk a lot about superpowers so these things that sort of make us 
human, our emotional intelligence, right? Because we bring so much of that into our work and into our lives. So back to what I said earlier about, you know, are you an enthusiastic person? Well, that should be used in your job. Like use that to your advantage. If you are an empath, use it to your advantage. Get a job that doesn't just, you know, again, nice to have, but like empathy is a huge part of what you do. Um, Just make sure that you're taking breaks along the way. You're taking care of yourself. Anytime you have like negative self-talk or like you have to learn how to let that go. We're, I think, oftentimes really in our head and we're told to not be so emotional. And I mean, being void of emotion, my God, I mean, how can we do work that resonates with people if we don't, you know, have the ability to sort of be in each other's shoes? That requires us to be empathetic and to have emotion. Like, we're not trying to be sociopaths here, I'm, I'm assuming. Some people are. Maybe the really successful ones are. Depends on what you do for a living. Yeah, there's probably people to like separate their emotions from their work. Absolutely. But that's where you have to identify your values and, and your lifestyle and you know what brings you joy and energy. And if you feel like something's sucking your soul or you know sucking your energy, that is not the place for you. It's true. And speaking about places too, you're in LA now. So to bring the conversation back around to LA, I lived in LA for a while. I, I did a startup there and uh, I felt like it was a place for like, empathetic people and people who are just a little bit more open. So I'm sure it's like a little different right now, like under the lockdown, because like it's really hard to network. But I found the women network to be so strong out there. And this was when like even Girlboss was operational, right? I think like Girlboss just folded. No, she just stepped down as a CEO. But even aside from there, like my friend runs uh, Wonder Woman Tech Festival out there. You should check it out. It's like the best women's conference tech. I'm taking notes right now. It's amazing. Yeah, it's called Wonder Woman Tech. Her name is Lisa May. That was like an amazing conference that I got to go to when I was there for the like past few years. I was involved with it, just moderating and just like just getting involved whenever I could because it was such an awesome collection of women in technology which I, I haven't met in New York. I mean, now it's kind of happening, but I'm so excited. I found it. It's so exciting because I found it, I found LA to be just like a much friendlier place for women. And I'm like, and I wonder if that's huh. like, because you had like the women's rights movement, like and you have Berkeley and there's like some kind of like a consciousness that like spills out into LA and like, it's warmer. Out. Yeah. It's, it's a much more progressive city than I think anywhere else. I mean, we think of New York as so progressive. But there are actually a ton of people who are in office there who vote Republican, even if they were elected as a Democrat. There's, yeah, a number of laws that would really surprise you that New York hasn't passed yet. I mean, things are shifting. Like cannabis. <laughs> like cannabis. Um, I think there were some reproductive rights that shocked me to discover that we didn't have. I mean, that's why AOC, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her win was so revolutionary, you know, for multiple reasons. But she actually really got New York to go more left. And I think really to open people's eyes that... Don't make assumptions about your state or your city, that there are still laws that need to be enacted, that need to be supported. California has done a great job um, for years. So it, it feels like a friendlier city to me coming here, but I'm in my house. So I'll have to follow up with you, you know, when I can finally venture out about things to do. Go for hikes. You know, those are the best. Like go for a hike in Malibu. It might take you like five hours to get there on the weekend. Due to I need to learn how to drive. Well, I need to learn how to drive, first of all, because I haven't really <laughs> driven in 10 years. But second, because most people are staying home. I heard that the traffic is almost non-existent, which makes me want to take advantage of that because I know that's such a rarity in L.A. You should get it. You just get a Prius and you go and you just become an L.A. person and you get some hiking boots and then like <laughs> that's it. You're L.A. But you know what I found out about LA? What I really hated about LA was that 
because it was so large, people would have plan A and plan B. So you'd make a plan with somebody far away. And then you would be like, three hours later, you're like, okay, we're still doing this. And they're like, oh no, I'm going to like a different thing. Cause I heard flaky people are flaky. So that drove me crazy until like, I found my like really awesome friends where I was like, okay, these people are like, not like LA people. And I was like, I want to make sure I don't become that LA person that like becomes flaky. And I found it to be a lot more superficial, which made me miss New York a lot. Cause like Mm. I'd go to a party and people would like, look at your car, people look at your shoes. and And it was very like, it's very like predatory. It's very like, what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? What do you do? Are you worth my time talking to? And what can I get out of you? And I found that to be like very skeezy. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I was like really happy to be back in New York where I think the networking is on like a mutually beneficial level. Mm. You have people who are like driven, not like who are just kind of like, hey, what can you do for me? I don't really even have a resume. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I just want to be somebody or something. Yeah. yeah. Where in New York, people were like doing things and they're like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to be a part of it? Right, and you're like, right. cool. Well, good thing that ladies get paid. We've, we've had a, an ambassador committee for three and a half years and they've done so many events in LA. So I'm lucky that I moved to a city where I already have a network. Uh, I'd like to take credit for it, but you know, it was really, it was really the the women that we've been working with in our community who has been able to grow this fantastic community. So I just hope one day to meet them. <laughs> you will meet them. You know what? You should do like a socially distance hike or something, and everybody Ooh. hikes like ten feet away from each other, and it's like a line of people wearing masks. That's not a bad know. idea. Yeah, that's you not. Know. We can get branded ladies get paid masks too. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to make some Dream Nation masks with my friend at Little Hippie. I have to do that this week. But like, it's all about getting creative. You're like, okay, well, maybe we do beach yoga really, really, really separated. Yeah. Or like, and maybe we do a picnic and everybody texts on like mm-hmm. the Slack channel, but at least like we, we can wave to each other. Mm-hmm. But like, it's like, how can we, how can we follow these silly, like, they're not silly rules. I said silly, but they're definitely not silly because people are dying. So this is like serious. But like, how can we still create a community by like still being safe? Yeah. Yeah. We just have to think differently. Yeah. To your point of like, this is the time to be creative. It is. It's the time to be creative. I want to talk to you about the time you were sued by a men's group for excluding men too, because it's insane. And I'm wondering if you can discuss it or not. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can. can't. So I should just preface this by saying the way that I started Ladies Get Paid was by hosting town halls. So these were places where I would say to women, you know, stand up and talk about something that made you feel not so great at work. And I want the whole room to support you, to tell you that you're, you know, that you're validated, that what you say resonates with us. And so, you know, depending on the theme of the town hall, women would share these really vulnerable experiences that they had. And I just felt like if you had a man in the room, you know, it, it wouldn't allow these women to feel comfortable enough to expose, you know, to be so exposed. And so I made the rule you had to be female identifying or non-binary. So we had a lot of trans women, which which was awesome because they actually could speak to both sides. They remember when it was like to be a man and, and seeing the loss of privilege. But I never thought of that as discrimination, which perhaps looking back at it now, you know, it, it was, but it just, it had such an altruistic purpose. And then we were sued. So group of men tried to come or they claimed that they tried to come to an event that we were hosting in Los Angeles and in San Diego. They claimed that they were denied entry. And then they brought this suit that was 
really big. So they didn't just sue Ladies Get Paid. They also sued me personally. They sued the venues that hosted us, the people who you know gave snacks and drinks. They sued 10 of our ambassadors, these women who you know gave their own time to help organize these events. And so I then got a lawyer and paid for a lot of stuff. You know, I, I defended these women, obviously. And this took over a year because the group of men who did this, they've done this hundreds of times before. This is part of their job. And so I was up against a lot. It was the most difficult time of my life, but also ended up turning into the best time of my life, primarily for three reasons. First reason was any kind of imposter syndrome that I'd felt up until then evaporated. It's like, if you're going to sue me, I'm going to have to take it. You know what? I'm not going to doubt myself. I do know what I'm doing. Like just by the fact that I'm surviving is I need to be extremely proud of myself. And I got a lot stronger. The second thing that was amazing was the community. So we didn't tell people we were being sued for almost a year because you, know, you can't really talk about these things until it's over. So we ultimately settled you know, with these guys and it was, you know, the whole thing was just such a mess and we were about to go out of business. We really, really needed financial support. So we decided let's do a crowdfunding campaign. So we told our community, we told them everything and we ended up, I can't believe it. We raised over $116,000 in less than three weeks from 2000 people. Our community stepped up in ways that, you know, just humbled me, really showed me how amazing people are out there. You know, as, as awful as these men were, there were thousands of other people who were incredible. And then the third thing that came out of this that was great, you know, was meeting my agent and getting to write a book. So I'm still pretty exhausted from it. I mean, it was a very jarring, fucked up experience, but man, there there are silver linings to everything. You just have to be able to find it and then take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true, right? And I was shocked to find out that these guys were like professional sewers. Like this was their thing and they were going after women and it's just so insane to think that like and then like I was reading something that like they went after like Club Med and they sued mm -hmm. him for like having a women's night and then they got something like five hundred thousand yeah. dollars out of it oh yeah and it's insane so did you know okay so ugh, this is horrible but this judge this judge whose son was shot by there was this like anti-feminist guy he killed the son, he also had killed some other man. They were part, the man that he killed and this guy, and he had ended up, ended up committing suicide. They were part of the group. They were part of the group that oh sued us. God. We knew <gasps> who these people were. We knew their names. So in the last couple of weeks, we've just been, you Oh know, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff is serious. You know, stuff is really serious. It's not, it's not a joke. And just, you know, remember everybody that when you want something, you have to stand by it. So it's not just, yay, women's rights. Like we have to continue to defend it. We have to continue to be strong. Progress is not linear. There will be people who would just fundamentally disagree with you. So, you know, I guess this whole experience kind of snapped me out of any naivete I had. You know, when I first started Ladies Get Paid, it was just, yay, fun. Now it's not fun, but it's important work and it does bring me joy. It brings me joy because of the community and because, you know, they tell us that we're really affecting their lives. So, you know, it's just, if you'd asked me four years ago, if I thought that I was going to be doing this or dealing with this, I mean, it's like a movie, honestly. Well, I think you should make it into a movie. It's going to be a ladies get paid movie. <laughs> I think so too. And then I can fulfill my childhood dream. So yeah, I appreciate and then, it. <laughs> and then like, you know what my favorite movie is? My favorite movie is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. 
And I grew up in Russia, so I didn't see like any movies. Everything was black and white. And then I moved here when I was like 10. And the first movie that I saw was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And there was food in it, which like Russia had no food. And everything was colorful and everything was bright. And I was like, this is America. But my favorite line, my favorite line is like, you know, what happened to the little boy who got everything that he ever wanted? He lived happily ever after. What is the biggest experience that you learned from being sued like that is such a scary thing and it's ironic because your company is called ladies get paid and then somebody's coming after you directly so we made a web we made a website we made a website that's ladiesgetsued.com if anybody Mm -hmm. is interested in learning more the thing that i learned is that i am obviously like strong as hell like i'm super strong i can do hard things i can do hard things and there's been a lot of them. So I almost feel like with the pandemic now, I've been training for this. Like I went through a divorce. I've been sued. Like I am ready. Uh, and you just have to day by day. Like if you keep thinking about how big everything is, you will get overwhelmed. You know, it's just this constant like negotiation with yourself for like be in the moment, plan for the future, but be in the moment you know, be realistic about things, you know, don't pretend everything's fine, you know, because then your feelings will still come up at some point. But also you can't live in the shit. You have to just make sure that, I don't know, unplug your phone, go for a walk, like find moments where you're very intentional about just being okay. And so I trained myself to do that. Um, And I, you know, I even have a tattoo now that, that says it's all good. Because you know what? Shit isn't all good. Like there's a lot of crazy stuff that's happening and, you know, is happening. But you in the moment can say to yourself, it's all good. Like there is, there is a way that you can convince yourself of that, even if it's just for five minutes. So it's something I have learned that I have to continually do. And it's working. Like, well, you know what? I also got prescribed an anti-anxiety medication. So it, I, just to be clear, this is not just do yoga and you'll be fine. Like we need a bunch of tools in our toolkit in order to be okay. But telling myself it's all good, just give me five minutes to feel that I am refreshed to, you know, to keep going. I love it. Do you have a bathtub in LA by any chance? I do. I do. And I've used it and I feel so good about it. That is the best thing. I'm like, if you're in LA and like doing up some salt bath because magnesium helps anxiety calm down too. I didn't know that. So if you do magnesium, like up some salt baths, that helps like at night. I like to do when I'm not pregnant, uh-huh. <laughs> obviously, clearly. But, you know, I was living in LA and I have anxiety too. So I would just like take a joint and get into the bathtub and uh. like chill out. And I would take um Harvard Business Review or like a book that I liked. And I would just sit there and I would just read. I was love like, this. Okay. So Epsom salt. All right, I will go and Epsom get that. Salt. You know, just like create a little space for yourself where you can like literally wash away all the anxiety at the end of the day mm-hmm. and just surround yourself in nature. I'll send you a bunch of links that like I love in LA, like hiking places and like mm. some people, people are moving out of LA too. So I'm like, let me see who's there. Mm, and okay. um, we're trying to get people put, to move to move here all of our friends in New York because that's that's I'll the put, only thing that's missing here is is our friends <laughs> I'll probably move somewhere outside of LA in the next year oh, so good. so that's what I'm trying to figure out I'm like I might be in Ohio. I might I'm obsessed with Palm Springs like obsessed I, I know we do, Springs, too. we do too but it's really hot it's it's so hot very true this is also true so I'll probably be somewhere around there I'll give you a shout but now that you're an adult What's your dream as an adult? Mm, I feel like I'm doing my dream, which is really, really nice. I just want to continue to support people and make them feel 
connected to themselves, connected to other people, you know, to be intentional about their career path and to advocate for themselves. And so if I can do that in different mediums, whether it's more books or a movie or podcasts or, you know, in all of its forms, I want to be able to reach people. So I think it's just continuing on the path that I am. And then hopefully having at least one kid in the next couple of years and providing them being intentional about my parenting. I love my parents. They're great, but I want to do it my way. And so I'm, you know, I'm sure I'll make a lot of mistakes too. Uh, but I, I appreciate the chance that hopefully I'll have in order to be able to give somebody the life and the values that I've worked hard to have in my own life. I think that's a beautiful dream. And I think you are, you are living it every I day. Am. It feels really good. And I, I worked hard to get here and I was very intentional about it. So, you know, of course there were lots of things that, you know, were, you know, I'm lucky and a privilege and all that, but like, I, I busted my butt. Like I got sued. I'm here. You know, <laughs> I deserve it. And I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah, you will be. Well, I'm so excited for your new book and I can't wait to share it when it comes out and I can't wait to read it. I'm happy that you're in LA too and you're out of New York because you can get, you can go for a walk. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that we reconnected and that I didn't know Definitely. you had all of this late, um, Los Angeles background. So this is, this is great. So thank you for any recommendations you have. I've had like 3000 lives and I've lived like all over the world. I'm yeah. like, where do you, I'm like, yeah, so cool. Yeah. I love LA. I might actually be there and who knows? I don't know. Life is so up and down right yeah, now. Yeah. Who knows where I'm going to be? But enjoy LA and I'll send you stuff. And thank you for being on the show. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more. And together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day, and go out and make the world a better place.